Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in episode 34. It's going to be fun to the Unidentified Alien podcast. I'm Stephen Diener, Karen Curtis over there. How are you, Karen? I'm well. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm drinking a caffeinated drink, so I want to um, first apologize ahead of time before we get into all this here today. Um, I, if I come across as very hyper, I apologize. I just want to say that ahead of time because I'm very hyper today. You're a little caffeinated. I am caffeinated, yes. But today I'm we're always caffeinated. <laughs> today we're going to get into, well, you probably saw the title, Nazis, Russians, and Aliens, Oh My. Oh My, and apropos for this time. Yes, yes it is. And it's funny because some of the stuff we're going to get into here today, it's one thing in particular that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, but I was waiting for the right time, and I think right now is the right time with what's going on in the world. And then something else, Karen, that you can attest to before we... We we get it to our factoid here in a second. Something else that's going to be in the episode today uh, concerning Russians and their um, disclosure of UFO and USO activity. I this is a story that I had never heard of before. Now, normally everything we talk about on the show are you. things that I've written down in my notes over the past decade. Nothing gets past you, you great ufologist, you. <laughs> except except for this story. And you, I texted you last night. Yeah. And I said, wait until you f- hear about this thing that I just found. So Stephen, we used the mind blown emoji. I did. I was very excited for this. I'm excited to talk about it today. But before we get into all of that. You know we always have a factoid. I do. Karen? This is so cool. Okay, so researchers, Stephen, they believe they finally answered a 400-year-old question that has stumped scientists since the 1600s. Wow. Why are the heads of tadpole-shaped pieces of glass, they're called Prince Rupert's, so strong? I've never heard of this. Yeah. Okay. So it's a little bead of glass with a really long kind of glass filamenty tail, right? Hmm. And you can take a hammer and hit that bead of glass on one end and it won't break. Weird. Can you imagine? In 17th century, Prince Rupert from Germany brought some of these little glass drops to England's King Charles II, who was intrigued by their unusual properties. And so, you you know, while the head of the drop is so strong, if you clip the little filamenty glass tail, the whole thing shatters. Huh. And they're like, why is this happening? Alien dewdrops? It is an alien dewdrop. <laughs> is, that, is that what they figured yes. out? Yes. <laughs> You'll put a picture of it, right? Sure. Up. I will put up a picture of what Prince Rupert's drops. Yes. So they finally figured it out. The recent tests show that the heads of the drops have a much higher surface compressive stress previously thought. They use some sort of a 
machine that we have now that they didn't have in the 1600s. Right, that's true. Um, and it's up to 700 megapascals or pascals. Oh yeah, sure, which I know is that. Ne- nearly 7,000 <laughs> times atmospheric pressure. So what happens is you melt the glass and then it drops into water, hmm. and that's what creates the droplet. Weird. Yeah, and so the surface compressive layer is also thin about. 10% of the diameter of the head of the drop. I don't know, whatever. So the researchers <laughs> explained these values give the droplet heads a very high fracture strength. In order to break a droplet, it's necessary to create a crack that enters the interior tension zone. So that's the end of the drop. Right. Okay, I'm going way down a rabbit hole here. But <laughs> what's really interesting is that they can use this idea for our, our iPhones. Oh, so, so they we won't don't break. Aha. Let's not crack the screens anymore. That's right. Well, our screens will be made up of Prince Rupert's drops. drops. Yes. I like that. I see. I like how you came around with all that. Oh, boy. Outstanding. I'm <laughs> I, exhausted. No, that was, that was good. I like it. That's a good factoid. Well, I actually have a factoid to lead us into our first uh, story of the day here because overall, you know, again, uh, there's, there's so many stories concerning, and I hate even using the word Nazis, but that's what we're talking about partially today. There's there's so many stories concerning the Nazis and Hitler and their fascination they with the occult. Evil and, dudes. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, and, you know, UFOs and aliens and things like that, teleportation and time travel, all these different things that Hitler was into. Um, and there's, so there's just a lot of those stories. And I've always been conflicted on which ones to talk about, which ones to highlight. Should I even bring it up? But I feel like with what's going on in the world today, this kind of is, like you said, apropos. And oh, yeah, they called uh, Zelensky a Nazi. He's Jewish. Yeah, well, there's that. And so when you talk about something like this, what's happening today, I, I thought this was an, an interesting quote. Now, Nick Pope... We've had his voice on the show many times. He was a former British Defense uh, Ministry cabinet member, I believe. And he's been very vocal in the UFO community about disclosure and the truth about UFOs and aliens and government and things that they're trying to hide. And he came out with a quote earlier this week talking about, of course, the Russia-Ukraine war, saying that this particular conflict is one reason why aliens will not reveal themselves. It's because we still act like freaking cavemen. Yeah, we may go nuclear over this. And that's how many times, not to get too far off track here, but how many times have we talked about in different stories, aliens going after atomic bombs, nuclear uh, bases, Maelstrom Air Force bases, all the different stories we've had, shutting off nukes, whatever it might be. They're very concerned about us. And now here we are again. Yep. So we'll see. Maybe the The aliens are shaking their collective heads. Yeah, yeah, for real. Maybe we'll come up. Maybe we'll hear stories. Who knows about aliens flying over Russia or Ukraine? Maybe UFO stories that are going to come up from that region of the You're world. Right. I don't know. We'll keep an eye on that. But speaking of all those things, we'll start off. We'll go further back in time to the 1940s, where again, one of the stories I've always been fascinated with, De Glocka, which is also known as the Nazi Bell. De Glocka is said to have originated in the 2000 Polish book Pravda Wunderwaffe. But here's the thing. It's, it's, called, it's, it's the truth about the wonder weapon. Yes, thank you. I guess I should translate that. That's what it means. It was written by a, a Polish author named Igor Witkowski, and he, he claims uh, that there was a device called the bell, and it was engineered by Nazi scientists. He described it as a glowing, rotating contraption, okay? Rumored to have some type of anti-gravitational effect. It was also r- rumored 
going to get a little out there today. I'm just warning you right now. Rumored to be a time machine <laughs> or part of an SS anti-gravity program for a flying saucer. Now, you've seen, I'm sure, if you haven't, I'm going to have, of course, pictures up on our blog page of UAP on 850WFTL.com. Pictures of the Glocka, pictures of previous um, UFO type of aircraft that the Nazis were working on and trying to, I guess, build and make. They had all kinds of experiments going on. Oh my gosh, yes. Now, you have to remember, too, when, when you talk about these things, the Glocka was a bell-shaped type of craft, which is why they call it the Nazi bell. They say it was about 12 feet high and 9 feet in diameter. It's not very aerodynamic, I must say. No, it's not. But it was incorporated to be two high-speed counter-rotating cylinders filled with a purplish liquid metallic-looking substance Hmm. that was supposed to be highly radioactive. And the code name for it was Zerum 525. Now, it said it was actually red mercury. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know. What is red mercury? It's very, very dangerous. It's it's highly toxic, not good to be around. Okay. And apparently that's what they were supposedly using for this supposed object that people still question today if it even existed. Now, to go back a little bit, we say it was originated in this 2000 Polish book. But here's the thing. They actually say that it may have started in a 1960 book by a French author who described this same thing. Uh-huh. Which we'll get to in a second because that this all ties in as of it always it does. does. Yes, it all ties into other things we've spoke about in the past. Which again, we don't plan. It's just coincidence. Yeah, it it took the Polish guy because no one believes the French. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it was. Forty years later, a Polish author had to write. I don't know. If you're in France listening, no offense, we're joking around. <laughs> so what? Je m'excuse. See. See, we, wrong language. What type of crazy things, Karen, might this secret weapon have been capable of? Did the SS perfect an anti-gravity machine at the end of World War II? Could Nazis teleport between dimensions? Did Hitler escape to the moon Uh aboard this fantastic craft? Uh Don't be alarmed, I'm not (laughs) self-medicating, but rather repeating some of the claims that have been made in the popular media and on the internet concerning a device known in German as Die Glocke, or in English, the bell. (laughs) All right, so... Don't worry, I'm not (laughs) self-medicating. All right, so... (laughs) That's, uh, well, one description of the rumors of what was behind all that and what it could do. Like we said, it was going to get a little crazy. But you have to wonder as we go in here, you'll hear why maybe this teleportation thing, up to you, might have legs. So, let me get this straight. Yes. We did an episode on the moon, right? We did. I think a two-parter, actually. Which, by the way, factoid, there's some sort of a Chinese missile headed to the moon, like, as we speak. (laughs) the heck is going on? Don't mess with the moon. We need the moon. We need the moon. (laughs) And we did an episode about the moon. It's some, uh, apparently, reportedly, uh, a Chinese spacecraft or satellite or something they shot into space eight years ago, and now it's out of control and it's going to slam into the moon. What's the worst that can happen, right? Oh my gosh. So, but didn't we have, was it Obama was on Mars or was he on the moon? So that was uh, our, our Curious Case of Andrew Basiago episode, I believe 19, where he talked about this guy, Andrew Basiago, being a time traveler with Obama on Mars. On Mars, okay. So then we got Hitler on the moon. Yes. I got it. Right. I can understand why, yeah, you got one and you don't want the other one. Well, on sure, you don't want to mix up, yeah. So now there are claims that scientists and technicians who worked on the bell and who did not die of its effects were wiped out 
by the SS at the close of the war, which could be, you know, very plausible. The SS were, hey, we're about to be, you know, overthrown here. Let's kill everybody so they don't get our secrets. It wouldn't be that far-fetched. They used to take cyanide pills and kill themselves. So the device was removed to an unknown location, according to our Polish author friend. It was taken and moved. Hmm. Some propose, Karen. Yeah. That's, oh, here's our mysterious character. Ready for our mysterious character? Yes. SS official Hans Kammler. Ah, uh, straight out of central casting. Mm-hmm. He was, create, he was credited with inventing the technology to make the Glocka work. He later secretly traded this technology to the U.S. military in exchange for his freedom, so, or so they say. Well, so remember, Oppenheimer did the same thing with the bomb. There you go. Now, it's not that far-fetched, so, and we'll tell you why in a second, but first, let's talk a little bit more about... Hamler, who was he? Yeah, and what was he in charge of? That the man who created Die Glocke, or at least was administratively in charge, was SS Obergruppenführer Dr. Hans Kammler, the sinister head of the V for Vengeance weapons program. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for all concerned, Hans Kammler was straight out of central casting, mm-hmm. an almost comic book Nazi villain who managed to disappear into thin air at war's end in oh. May 1945, never to be seen again. Mm-hmm. Okay, Maybe so... he's up on the moon with uh, Hitler. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> 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 Not that I think Hitler was on the moon. Hey. Some people do. I, well, crazier things can happen, I suppose, right? Disprove me. Yeah, really, exactly. But it does make you wonder, where the heck did this guy go? Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. So now remember, all this, if you think this is far-fetched, that, you know, maybe he exchanged this technology for freedom or whatever it might be, the Nazis did create a lot of advanced weaponry, such as the V-2 rocket, which, like we just said, Kamler was, uh, you know, one of the heads of that V for Vengeance program. There's a reason why the U.S. government didn't kill or imprison a lot of the German scientists at the end of the war, and instead repatriated them in what became known, Karen, and we know about this, yes. Operation Paperclip. Yes. That's a known fact. That's not a conspiracy. They took a lot of these scientists and brought them over, and, well, guess what? We actually got a lot of technology from them. Also, oddly enough, some theories have suggested that a concrete ring, which we're going to have a picture of this on our blog page, called the Henge. Hmm near the Ventilus Mine, built in 1943 or 1944, and vaguely resembling Stonehenge. They think, theorists anyway, that it was used as a launch pad for de Glocka. Ah, that's the shape. What is a henge? It's kind of... This is like a hexagonal type structure. You'll see it on the blog. It's kind of hard to explain. It's, is it hexagonal? It is. I think it is. What did I say? I don't even know what I said. Hexagonal. Whatever. <laughs> Same thing, six sides. According to writer Jason Colavito, the structure is... seven? Hex? No, six. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Don't question my side knowledge, Karen. The structure is merely the remains of an ordinary industrial cooling tower. So it could be that, but we'll have a picture of the the henge on our blog page as well. I need 50WFTL.com. It's a hexagonal henge? Yeah. Oh. I think so. There you go. I'm going by memory. I have to look at the picture again. It It might be an octagon. Oh, Not exactly eight. Sure. Yes. 
So, well, you can take a look at the picture and see for yourself this weird structure that actually still is there um, in Germany. And they actually, oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, it's in Poland. And uh, they, they still, which is creepy, still have the Nazi, I guess you can say caves, mines, oh. these underground bases that they were working in, building a lot of these secret rockets and everything like that. They were trying to build an atomic bomb. That didn't work out well, obviously. Um, so it's it's weird stuff, but it's all true when it comes to what they were trying to build and the, the technology that they were working on. Now, we've even attributed the Kecksburg Bell incident of 1965 to that of the Glock. And now you might remember, Karen. Yep. We did cover the Kecksburg Bell in, earlier, in an earlier episode, but... There's always overlap and always. threads that intertwine through the whole thing. Yeah, you'll find out. Here we go. On the night of the 9th of December, 1965, a large fireball was viewed by thousands of people across six U.S. states and Ontario in Canada. Trailing some kind of material, the object crashed in the woods at Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, 30 miles northeast of Pittsburgh. The U.S. Army quickly cordoned off the area, adding to the mystery. Before long, a UFO was reported to have crashed, and then Die Glocke was named. The story being the object was a captured example of the bell that crashed during tests. NASA revealed in 2005 that the object had actually been a Soviet satellite, Cosmos 96, right. that re-entered the atmosphere and broke up. Hence the army cordoning around the site at the height of the Cold War mm. and great secrecy surrounding the event. It's possible, right? I mean, it's possible that this was actually the Kecksburg Bell was just a Russian satellite, which would explain the the army secrecy was during the Cold Cold War. But they made a prototype of it, and then it became like a tourist attraction. Right, right. That's and true. It's a bell. It's like it a is. weird looking bell. And we we covered again. We covered the Kecksburg Bell in detail in an earlier episode. I want to say it was probably in our first within our first ten episodes. If you want to. Go back. You can always go back at 850WFTL.com and search the UAP podcast there. All our episodes are there as long as, uh, as well as Apple and Spotify, of course, wherever you get your podcast. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's intriguing to think about how, again, we always have these common threads unintentionally, but it just works out that way all the time. I swear it's unintentional. I know we always say it. It probably said you're like, oh, please, you guys do this on purpose. No, I swear we don't. Whenever something comes up, there's always some type of common thread with something I else find we it talk comforting about. that they all relate. It's it. It makes you wonder, right? It makes you think that maybe there's one of these things had to have some truth to, to this. them. So was it was it the Glocka that crashed in in uh, Kecksburg, Pennsylvania? Is is it possible that the U.S. military, if this thing was real, that they took it over and they were taken out on a test flight, trying to figure out how to work it, trying to figure out how to cross through different dimensions? Anything's possible. Or maybe it's what NASA said in 2005 that it was just a Russian satellite from the Cold War. Well, here is. Actually, people who saw what happened and what they had to say about it. The wife and I wife. seen the streak in the sky and heard it on the radio. The object fell down over this hillside to my right. Well, this was the front page of the, of the morning edition of the Tribune Review. We cannot eliminate the possibility that it could be extraterrestrial. So these people, most of them don't even know each other. But what they don't know is so many of these people gave me those little details of what they experienced that night in 1965. And those little details confirm other people's accounts. We stood up here for hours, at least. I was here at least two or three hours standing right here. But it was something that went out of control come down in Kecksburg. Now, I love that quote from one of the witnesses there. And this is because this is something that we always say, is that you have the same account from different people who don't know each other and didn't coordinate anything. It's not like they could text each other in 1965 That's and say, right. hey, what did you see? I mean, the guy 
and the wife had the same story. <laughs> That's right. That's true. And we laugh because Karen makes fun of me. It's an inside joke. I when I'm talking about my wife, I always refer to her as the wife. In case you're wondering why we're laughing about <laughs> so that. So lovely. Yeah, it's a term of endearment. But so when it, when it comes to it's just fascinating to me how everything connects. It always does somehow. But back to, to Kamler and the Nazi scientist, because again, not out of the question that maybe he gave himself up. Maybe he gave up the Glocka to the U.S. Armed Forces in exchange for his freedom. Maybe he was a secret part of Operation Paperclip. Because actually, we got some of the designs for the stealth bomber from these Nazi scientists. <laughs> okay? Yeah, and well, and there have been UFOs described to be shaped like that. The SR-71 uh, spy plane was thought to be, was described as a UFO, a literal unidentified flying object when it was being test flown in the 70s. People thought, what could be flying that high? We didn't know. Civilians didn't know that we had a spy plane that can go to the freaking stratosphere. But, you know, so it's all these things are possible explanations. Maybe that's where Kamler went. Maybe he lived out his days in a secret military base, giving information and intel and coming up with war machines for the U.S. military. Or... Could it be possible that he disappeared into a different dimension using Deglaka? That's also a possibility. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. Hey, cover your bases. Uh, I'm, you know, just throwing it out there. Now, what about? How about this, Karen? As we, as we finish off our uh, discussion here on Deglaka, some theories circulating on the interwebs claim that Deglaka is located in a Nazi gold train. Oh. Then it's buried in a tunnel beneath, beneath a mountain in Poland. That's interesting. There's, they did say that there is a missing Nazi gold train that's in a tunnel somewhere in a mountain. Listen, you think about the Worth story. Like billions of dollars. Yes, there's Nazi gold and treasure throughout the world, really. You know, that's always been speculated in Poland and Germany and Argentina. Oh, man. Different parts of the world. Look, you remember the story about Monuments Men? They made it into a movie. That's right. Well, that, well, that was for all the uh, all the art that art was Art and statues and paintings and stuff. It was sickening. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, those were things that were actually found. So, so maybe the Glocka is buried somewhere in a Poland Polish mine. We I just talked to you about the videos out there about these Polish, you know, Nazi mines that are still not active, but they're there. I mean, what are you supposed to do with them? They're there. Strange, strange stuff. Very odd. Did it have some type of connection to alien or alien technology? Did they get the ideas from extraterrestrials? I don't know, but it makes you wonder, doesn't yeah. it? Well, gold itself is not from Earth. It has True. all the gold on the planet has arrived via meteorite or comet. That's a good point. So it's a, that's why it's a finite amount. Maybe Kamler will will transport back into Glocka one day and we'll we'll get the answers from a different dimension. Who knows? But from one evil regime to another, oh Karen. Boy. How about those Russians these days, huh? Oh jeez. And not to get uh, it's not the Russian people that we get on. It's it's Putin. I mean, I never like to get political on this show, but let's be honest. There's kind of one guy in that country pushing this whole thing right now. But they have had some famous UFO encounters of their own in the past. Well, actually, USO, and the U isn't for yeah. Ukraine. No. So it's unidentified. And we've talked about USOs before in yes. depth again in another episode. Yep. Unidentified submerged objects. That's right. If you're not familiar with the term. And much like the Nazis, they have been blamed for UFOs possibly being mistaken for some of their own secret technology. And maybe possible contact with UFOs and other worldly beings, as we like to say. One story in particular, Karen, before we get to yeah, the... the frogman. Yeah, the cherry on top here today. Frogman is a uh, tease there. How about something called... Again, I didn't hear about this before, but we're going to talk about it today. That's right. This is the one thing you never you had, you hadn't heard this. Both of these stories actually we're about to go into. I okay. never heard of either of these, but they're extremely fascinating. And these are not so just 
these are not things that were mistaken for UFOs. These are actually stories that were um, declassified as part of a Russia declassification program in 2009. And one story that came out, and maybe that's why I hadn't heard about a lot of these because they're very recent and they were kept secret for a long time. One of the stories that came out is something called the Voronezh incident, UFO incident, I should say. Yeah, and, and you know what? It is one of the weirdest UFO stories out there. In 1989, the residents of this small city in Russia reported seeing some aliens out for a walk in a local park after landing their spacecraft in the area. While only a group of children described seeing the aliens, multiple other citizens reported seeing the ship. The ship was described as a ball that transformed into a disc and then landed. What? And its inhabitants were three-eyed aliens what? and a robot who allegedly abducted a 16-year-old boy. No. The ET ship was even seen by a police lieutenant and reported on officially by the telegraph agency of the Soviet Union. Oh my gosh. Man, a robot. So the ship was a ball turned into a nut, so it's shape-shifting. Yeah. And then, so then there was a mechanized alien. Yeah, let's, a robot. Try, let's try to digest this a little bit. I know it sounds like the day the Earth stood still with Gort, with the robot alien, <laughs> Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. But I know it's... <laughs> what? What did we just hear? I don't know. Now, let me say this real quick, too. Notice the three-eyed alien description. Yes. What did we just talk about last week with Lost Worlds? The Lumerians. Oh, and the four-armed guy. Four arms and three eyes. Yeah, oh, that's How right. How weird is that? That's a cyclops, right? No, that's one eye. Oh, that's a one eye. Yes. <laughs> Close enough. Three <laughs> eyes, one <laughs> eyes, whatever. But to elaborate on all that real quick, the story goes that a group of boys were playing soccer in a city park, and they saw what they described as a pink glow in the sky, and then saw a deep red ball about three meters in diameter, which I know we're scared of the metric system here, so that's almost <laughs> 10 feet, okay? The ball circled, vanished, and then reappeared minutes later, and then hovered. So imagine these teenagers playing soccer. They see this weird thing. It vanishes, like, right, back to the game. And then it comes back and it hovers. Now, they claim to have seen the three-eyed alien wearing bronze-colored boots with a disc on his chest. And then the robot appears out of nowhere as well, coming out of this ball UFO. Then, what happens Wait, there? And, yes, and, but yes. it's only... It's only three meters wide in diameter? It's only 10 feet wide. But, so it's very must, small. They must be little. Maybe they were one of the small aliens. I, it's very strange because how could something that small hold these beings in a craft? I was wondering the same thing. I don't understand that. Now, the children were the only ones claiming to have witnessed the aliens. But then you have Lieutenant Sergei Matviev oh. of the Voronezh District Police Station. He claimed to have seen... Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> he claimed to have seen a body flying through the sky. Ah. Uh-huh. Good Lord. That is... <laughs> what? Now, that would explain this whole, you know, t- uh, teenager disappearing thing. Oh, because the robot took the t- 16-year-old. Right. What, he threw him? I don't know. Oh. He just took him. I have no... And I searched. And I'm sorry. Because I, now you're going to be like me and wonder, well, what the hell happened to this kid? Yeah. There's no description of what happened. Oh, he just took him. He's just gone. Huh. So there's no answers. There's no... Unless you... Be better than me. Go and search on Google the Voronezh UFO incident. V-O-R-O-N-E-Z-H. Get back to us if you find something. Let us know. You can search us on Twitter. Or at if UA- you're the 16-year-old kid who's now an adult, let us know. Yes. If you're that 16-year-old kid, write us on Twitter at UAPodcast850 where you can follow the show and let us know. If you know more about what happened to this kid, did he come back? 
I don't know. <laughs> He's huh. just, just gone. Hmm. So but, anyway. And, and we don't know if he was the body flying in the sky. I, right, exactly. Very weird story. I don't know what to make of it, but that was one of the stories that was declassified in this 2009 document. Are there any, is there photographic evidence of any of that? No. Oh. Okay. Just, just all uh, word of mouth over there in Voronezh, Russia. But, and this. You know, <laughs> speaking of word of oh, mouth, yes. what's interesting is when these stories get told, things change with language, like with Cinderella, when mm. the, it's told she had ver slippers, which is fur. Oh. But ver also means glass. How about that? So it changes from fur to glass. It depends on, so it, it could be a completely different story by the time it gets to the United States when it's told in a different language. That's true, too. Maybe we get lost in translation. Yeah. Well, and plus, you know, as you tell a story, one person tells it, then the next person tells it. It's like a telephone game. You know what I found interesting about this, too? The description of the aliens about them wearing, like, these metallic suits and all this stuff. Does this not remind you of the Edgar Cayce story, actually, going back to his series that we did in Kentucky? Where it was in the 50s, I forget which year, it's been so long since we did, we, we did the episode, but it was the, a famous sighting in, in Kentucky where these aliens were floating through a farm in metallic suits and the farmers fought them with shotguns. But the, And they all said that told the same story, even the, the old lady. That's right. She, they were on the same script. I think that was in Edgar Casey Part 2, if you want to go back and listen to that episode. Wild story, but again, common threads. Of descriptions from different periods of time in different countries. Yes. So, anyway, that was your appetizer. Oh, boy. For the Soviet close encounters, because wait until you hear about this one. Now, this is the one we teased in the beginning of the episode when I said I texted you last night uh, and I was all beside myself and I said, wait until you hear this story I just came across, because this is unbelievable. So, no more teasing. Here's the story. Again, this was declassified, and the Russian people were shocked to learn about this in the 2009 report, kind of like the declassification of sorts that came out in our own Congress uh, last summer in 2001, uh, 2021, when we learned about you know everything from 2004 to 2021, which is the reason for the show, because we wanted to look at everything else that was left out in those reports, which I think we've done a pretty good job of so we far. try. Now, there were reports in this uh, declassification of nuclear submarines coming across USOs, again, unidentified submerged objects, while out in the open sea. But out of all those stories, the one that stood out to many was about an encounter that happened in Siberia in 1982 at Lake Baikal, which is B-A-I-K-A-L, if you want to look this up. I have to tell you, first of all, Siberia has a lot of sightings because it's so remote, remote yes. and everything. Uh, secondly, I'm from Michigan, so we have the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. And so to hear about a lake, this is the deepest freshwater lake in the world. It's a mile deep. It's I've never heard a of mile. it. mile. And there were seven Russian Navy divers. Why they're diving in Lake Baikal? They were conducting a research mission. I mean, the water is ice. It's icy and deep and cold. They were down about 50 meters. Do we know how long that, how how, uh, much that is? 50 meters. meters. Because again, do your little conversion. I'm going to, yes, because we are afraid of the metric system here. We are. Suddenly. The frogmen realized that they were being watched. 164 feet, by the way. 164 feet. So that's pretty far. That's pretty deep, yeah. So this is what happened. These strange humanoid figures were much bigger than human beings and appeared to be wearing helmets of some sort. 
What on earth are we to make of an encounter like this? It's one thing to talk about USOs, but quite another to talk about humanoid entities deep in the lake. These were large beings, human shape, but like nine feet tall, wearing what seemed like very tight-fitting silvery suits. Not your normal scuba gear, swimming in the water, what they've come to call the swimmers of Lake Baikal. Oh, no. What were these creatures? Why did they not seem to use what we would be using to sustain life? There were no oxygen tanks. Aha. Uh -huh. Huh. Okay, so there's a lot to digest again from that one. First silvery off, suits. Silvery suits. So we just talked about that, the common thread there. And then we talk about no oxygen tanks. So we would have to assume that these are underwater dwelling beings. The swimmers. The swimmers. Mermaids of sort. Mermaid maybe, aliens. Yeah, mermaids. Or maybe they were just mermaids. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> they might be like fish where they have a way to take the oxygen out of the water. Do they have some type of gills that allow them to breathe underwater? Huh. Or is it because these helmets, these these helmets that they were described as wearing, right. maybe that was something that was you know allowing them to maybe get the air Maybe they don't even needed. breathe. Uh, who knows? Right? I mean, who knows? I don't know. Maybe they get the oxygen through their skin. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. But all I do know is this description. Could you imagine coming across something like this? No. Where you're a diver, right? You're just doing a research mission, and then these nine-foot entities are in front of you wearing these strange clothes, having these giant helmets on. What are you supposed to do in that case? Well, I don't think you should attack them, Stephen, mm. but... Guess what the frogmen did, oh the boy. Russian frogmen. The divers attempted to capture one of these creatures. Bad idea. But at this point, so the documents say, the entities reacted. A powerful, unknown force suddenly propels the entire group of divers up from the deep water to the surface. Oh. They did a rapid rise to the surface of the water. Well, when you do that too fast, you suffer from decompression and you get the bends and mm. it's deadly. Yep, that'll do it. Ugh. And when I first heard the story, that's the first thing that popped in my head was, oh my gosh, you can't go up to the surface that quick, especially over 160 feet down. You'll die. And they did. Three of them died. Wow. Four had serious, were in serious condition. And that's interesting. If they didn't see anything down there, why did three of them rise so rapidly that they got the bends? Something happened. Yeah. We have physical proof that something happened. Something made them resurface very quickly, quicker than they certainly wanted to. So was it, did they get into a panic over maybe a shark? No, it's fresh water, though. Uh, right. So there's that. I don't remember sharks swimming in, in frigid, icy water. No. So what What was there? That Was there some type of mistake? Was it an equipment failure that made them come up to the surface quicker than they should have? These are experienced divers from a Russian research team in the 80s. And usually they're not malevolent. But I guess they tried to capture one, and that pissed them off. So, right. You know, whenever we talk about aliens, unless it's the greys who are said to not be very nice in their abductions, normally they're not these malevolent creatures. They're, it's normally, you know, research-type things. Like, we were diving in Lake Baikal, right? Like these Russians were doing for research. That's how I've always looked at why do aliens visit Earth? It's for research. Scientific, yeah. scientific exploration. Yeah, tell them it's for research. That's that's the way I see it. You know, they, they're trying to figure things out. Maybe they're trying to figure out how to take us over. I don't know. But when you talk about this story, something pushed these guys to the surface. There's no disputing that. They got the bends. That's what they died from. So what was it? Maybe there really was something under there. Well, and the surviving ones explained what happened, so... The story comes from somewhere, right? Yeah. 
It's it's but like I said, it might get lost in translation. Yeah, I don't know. You know, something something manhandled these guys. Is this uh, some type of malevolent race of ETs that have never been widely reported on before? The swimmers. The swimmers, as they call them. This is a strange one. It's actually unsettling, to be honest yeah. with you. And we're going to have a picture of the Baikal swimmers on our blog, oh, 850wftl.com, on our UAP blog page. Again, just search UAP on the podcast section, and you'll find everything you need to there when it comes to our past episodes. And, of course, the current one that will show you all the pictures, all the things that we refer to, including the, um, well, at least the artist's rendering of what these things may have looked like. It's... Uh, pretty fantastical and also we'll have prince rupert's drops on there too. yes we are going to have that but next week karen we are going to talk about gosh I, you know what i still need to decompress i know we finished all our stories but i feel like yeah it's still affecting you it's still affecting me you're you're bending spoons with your mind i think i have the bends right now <laughs> you, have the bends. <laughs> you came just, up too quickly like what is happening there's just so many there's really weird and strange but you know what the whole universe is weird and strange, and I think the Earth has some weird and strange things going on. You know, and it's such a great point, too. You think about... We haven't even been to the depths of the ocean. Right. We haven't seen, like, what, 95% of the ocean? We know. It's kind of a cliche these days, but it's true. We know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the bottom of our own oceans on our planet. Think about... Forget, like, like by call for a second, which is a mile deep. Think about the Mariana Trench. It's seven miles deep. And there's like fish with like little lights that come off their head. Yeah, I mean, there's things down there. There's bio- Seven miles deep. There's bioluminescent shrimp. There's, there's so many different creatures and things that we can't even begin to fathom right. what's in the bottom of our seas and our oceans. So who's to say that there's not some type of being or bases or craft that's under these lakes and, and at the bottom of these oceans... You ask me, it's a perfect place to hide in plain sight, especially when we start talking about USOs and why these things are popping out of the water. The Nimitz, okay? The USS Nimitz. The classic case. It's the reason why disclosure even started happening within the U.S. government. The 2004 case where the fighter jets see the UFO off the coast of San Diego during their training exercise, and it dives into the ocean. There you go. Where is it going? Exactly. Catalina? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, there's different radar and, and sonar technology. Yeah, it showed up on the radar. That we've seen before, we've talked about before, and I think we've even had the pictures on our blog page where it shows under surfaces under the water off the coast of California. What is down there? What is this stuff? And they're shaped like there's pyramids underwater. There's all yes. kinds of weird things. There's like circular shapes. That, that nature doesn't make perfect shapes like that. It's rough. It's rigid. It's zigzag. It doesn't make perfect circles. It doesn't make straight lines. So what are these things that people are finding in radar and sonar and objects under the water? To me, it's perfectly plausible that you would have other beings, otherworldly beings, whatever, even societies, other worlds that might be in these places that are completely remote, that we know nothing about. If we know nothing about it, why can't these things be true? It's true. I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent here. I told you, I'm sorry I was highly caffeinated today. I warned you. <laughs> you wrapped it all up in a big bow. Boy, I'll tell you. Well, anyway, you make up your own mind. Go always make sure to visit us at 850wftl.com. On our UAP blog page, you'll see all the episodes. And, of course, Apple and Spotify for all the previous episodes to catch up. There's a lot going on with UAP. Especially with uh, today's 
today and date with Disclosure and all the things coming out. Who knows? And give us five extra terrestrial stars, please. And get ready for next week. Oh, yay. This is, okay, this is a story that I, in the interest of full disclosure, have been wanting to write a um, a screenplay about. Really? I've never written a screenplay before. I don't know much about writing screenplays, but I want this to be a movie. Okay. And I'm frustrated that it's not. Well, we can start <laughs> with the podcast and maybe that'll get it going. So it's a story about the Spear of Destiny. And this actually relates kind of to what we were talking about today with Nazis and their obsession with the occult and the mysterious things of that nature. And I really want to dive in. I was actually going to put the Spear of Destiny in this episode today, but I felt like these, uh, these stories were good enough to where we can save the Spear of Destiny for its own UAP episode. Stands on its own. It does stand what on its own. What is the Spear of Destiny? Oh, you're going to find out. Okay. And Hitler wanted it. <gasps> Napoleon had it. And it goes all the way back to the time of Jesus. Oh, my God. So we'll have biblical stories and the spear of destiny. And yes. There's a lot of other biblical connections that tie into everything when it comes to... It's not Excalibur. No. Okay. So there's a lot of tie-in we're going to do next week. stuck in a rock somewhere. No, no. It ties in. We're going to tie in biblical to the unexplained, to the supernatural. Love it. It's going to be crazy and I Epic. can't wait. I've been wanting to tell a story forever. So Yay. look forward to episode 35 next week. But until then... Make sure to download, rate us with five extraterrestrial stories, like Karen said, and consume. Thank you again to everybody Thank for you. listening. The response has been fantastic. So hopefully we, you continue to enjoy the show. And hopefully you enjoy this one and all future episodes. So we'll talk to you again next time right here on the Unidentified Alien Podcast. It's Karen Curtis there. Stephen Diener here. Check us out on Twitter, UA Podcast 850. And of course, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye.